Thank you very much. It's a delight to be back. Thank you for inviting me. I'd like you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2. It's a familiar portion of scripture to you, but it's something I think that is very basic and fundamental in our understanding even today. It's surprising how many people don't know what a church is. You can ask sometimes people who haven't been to church, what is a church? You know what a church is, what it is like, and it's difficult for them to tell you. And even sometimes for some Christians, when they explain what a church is, they say, well, we have a statement of belief, we have officers, we have certain type of government, congregational church government, we have ordinances, but can you summarize what a church is? I'd like to read these verses and then we'll delve into them. Acts chapter two, beginning with verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as every, anyone or everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. It has been my understanding that the church can be characterized by discipleship, fellowship, worship, service, and outreach. I think if you'd like to have a simple understanding of what a church is, you can grab a hold of that and understand those five characteristics. When I was reading the book of Acts, I found that this church was not perfect. I say that because sometimes people say, let's mimic or model the church in Acts chapter two. Keep in mind it had blemishes, it had difficulties, it had problems, it had strife and difficulties. Nevertheless, they did try to do what God told them to do. It was unique and very, in a very real way. This is the church in its infancy when it was beginning. It was form in its formation. But I think these characteristics are very important. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, you read these words, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Why were they continuing daily or being devoted to the teachings of the apostles? And the answer is really very simple. That's all they had. 
They didn't have the Bible as we have it today, so they had the teachings of the apostles, and that's what they used, and they were devoted to that. In the book of Acts, we find this fivefold description which I have given to you, namely discipleship, fellowship, worship, outreach, and also service. I think quite often we make the church much more complicated than it has to be. I understand the need for committees and boards and structure. I understand that and I follow that as well. But I think sometimes we make it just too complicated instead of understanding in its, in its simplicity. Let's take a look at these five characteristics and hopefully we'll have a greater understanding. Number one, there was discipleship taking place. They devoted themselves to a study of the doctrine of the apostles. This would be the equivalent to teaching Sunday school, preaching the Bible in the morning service, <coughs> Sunday evening service, midweek service, Bible study, whatever it might be. We do this kind of thing today, only we use our Bible. That's our source of authority. That's our truth that we have, God's completed revelation. They did that in the early church. That was called discipleship. I believe it is significant that these converts were spending time working through the apostles' doctrine. They wanted to understand theology. They wanted to understand truth. All churches don't follow the Bible. You say, well, why do they call it a church? You go to some churches and they spend most of their time talking about political issues or current events or those kinds of things. But here's this early church sitting together just like we are doing today, studying truth. It was a church that studied truth. They wanted to learn. That's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. There was reference to miracles, and that's the reason why we see the mention of it here. There were signs and wonders or miracles that were performed. This was for the purpose of authenticating the message that was given to them. We don't need that today because we have the completed revelation of God. We have the Bible. What is discipleship in its most simple definition? It would be leading people to follow the Lord Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Identify with me. Learn about me. That's called discipleship or teaching or training. So this church was a church that studied the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, said, The things that you have learned from me, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, the truth that you have learned, that same truth, don't change it. Teach it to someone else so they could teach it to someone else so they could teach it to someone else. And this is indeed discipleship. Discipleship is not just a class. It's following truth and following the Lord Jesus. So teaching and learning was taking place. Someone has said, what do you call a person who keeps talking when everybody else stops listening? 
Now that could be a preacher, it could be a teacher, it could be almost anybody. It could be your mother, it could be your father. Yeah, but what happens when people are teaching the truth? Do we listen? Are we interested? Do we want to learn? Or is it just something that we do? The same that thing that you have learned, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So teaching and training were taking place. Discipleship is centered in the teaching of the Bible. So when you look at this early church, there was discipleship, studying truth. Secondly, the second characteristic is there was fellowship. Now this kind of church, a church that has fellowship, is one that cares, loves, and supports people. The people who are part of this kind of church like to be together. They like to do things together. They like to share together. They like togetherness. You'll notice in verse 42, for example, they had fellowship. They had things in common. What was it that they had in common? The most basic truth here is salvation. They were all gathered together as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, and that's what they had in common. That's what drew them together. Isn't it interesting how you can have a group of people from various denominations and backgrounds and cultures and nationalities and races and interests and put them all together and they have something in common. What is it? Salvation. They're Christians. They're part of the family of God. So when you and your family gather together and you have some things in common, you do that because the, you are related. And even so in the church, believe it or not, we are related. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is fellowship. People look differently, act differently, talk differently, sing differently. Some don't sing at all. Some can't. But they enjoy fellowship. Sometimes you have a fellowship dinner or a fellowship supper or a meal. And you gather together and you enjoy fellowship or togetherness around food. You can do this in a class, you can do this individually with another Christian, but you enjoy fellowship together. Sometimes churches have fellowship in a park, or on a basketball team, or a baseball team, or a luncheon. But people visit in homes and enjoy fellowship, and they enjoy fellowship in church. It was one of the characteristics of the early church, fellowship. By the way, you know why unsaved people feel uncomfortable around Christians? Because they don't have anything in common. They're not saved. By the way, the reverse is true. The reason why Christians feel uncomfortable with a group of unsaved people is because they don't identify with their interests. So we have something in common. We fellowship together. The book of Acts is a book of transition, or it pictures the church in its infancy. But nevertheless, I think in the beginning of this church, when they had all things in common, it's significant for us to follow today. By the way, I checked 20 different versions to see what it said, because I thought maybe somebody is, has a different idea. Having all things in common, 
And in these 20 versions, 17 of them use those identical words. Having all things in common. The other three, I'll give them to you. One of them said it this way. They shared everything they had. Another one. They shared everything with one another. And the third was, everything they had was communal. In other words, whatever they had, they were willing to give for the benefit of others. Now, I want to be very careful here. There really is a, there is a group of people. In fact, there is a group of people in western Iowa called the Hutterites. And the, the Hutterites live together. These are many, many families. They own land together. They own houses together. They own equipment, farm equipment together. They don't own anything individually. They own everything collectively or communally. They're called the Hutterites. They do this because they say they can be stronger and have a greater impact. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this is what they did in Acts chapter 2. I don't think so. Let me say it this way. The system in Acts chapter 2 is not a welfare system. You know a welfare system, that's where everything is equalized. So people who are careless and lazy have just as much as those who are hardworking and frugal. I'll tell you the honest truth, I'm not interested in that. Now, I don't mind helping people who have a bona fide need. I really don't. And sometimes you take special offerings for people to help them because they're going through a time of difficulty or whatever the case may be. I understand that. That's taught in the Bible. But this is not a welfare system. In fact, just a few minutes, I'm going to tell you, I don't think that they all sold everything. And I'm going to prove, I hope, by what the Bible says. These people did not all come from the same area. They were not all fishermen. They did not all prefer the same kind of food. They were different in many respects, and yet they had things in common, and they did things together. There was agreement. Let me explain what I mean. There was doctrinal agreement. They followed the teachings of the apostles. There needs to be doctrinal agreement in the church. That truth which you follow and put into practice. Doctrinal agreement. Secondly, there was spiritual agreement. That is, they were submitted to the same spiritual ideals. There was practical agreement. They participated together in various ventures. So they had all things in common and there was agreement. Now the church that has all things in common and are in agreement, I think really needs to eliminate some things as well as elevate some things. Here's what I mean. A church that has all things in common eliminates certain, certain things. Number one, it eliminates pride, pride. Their agreement is based on truth, not personal, preferences. 
I don't have to remind you of the struggles even our, in our own culture and politics as well as education and other areas of life where people struggle because they don't agree. There's great disagreement. It eliminates pride. Incidentally, I know of a church in Iowa that was pastorless for a number of years, for quite a while. And uh, they finally got organized and got a search committee, pastoral search committee. They accumulated a number of pastoral resumes. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Some of you know what this is like. And then they finally went through those resumes and discovered that there were several they were interested in. So they decided they would write to these few, four or five, and have them fill out a questionnaire and give them some answers to see if there might be some compatibility or agreement or interest. One pastor, when he, was, when he received his, this questionnaire, it had a list of strengths. And, his, and the, the question was, number your strengths from 1 to 10, 10 being high. And he gave himself a 10 in every single one. Which means he thought he could do everything very well. He had no area of weakness. That's what I'm talking about, this matter of pride. It eliminates pride. Two, it eliminates pacifism. That is, people are not passive, they're not neutral, they are involved, they are active. It eliminates partiality. By that I mean they work as a team. They don't form sides, they don't form groups. There is agreement, there's no partiality. So it eliminates certain things, but on the other hand it also elevates certain things. Number one, it elevates truth. Here we do, here we come back to this matter of faith one more time. Faith, truth, we practice in agreement. It elevates the task at hand, namely God's work. Not your enterprise, not your interest, but God's work. It elevates the testimony of the group, not just a few. By the way, a church either succeeds or fails together. You don't look at a church and say, well, 15% of them, is, they're a great success, but the rest are failure. No, the, the church as a group either succeeds or fails. It eliminates some things, but it also elevates some things, namely the group. And then number four, it elevates trust. If you're going to have togetherness, in agreement, you need to have trust. That's very important in a local church. So this church could be characterized by discipleship, could be characterized also in a number of other ways. I want to give you a third one, worship. Discipleship, fellowship, and worship. What's worship? This is called a worship service. But what exactly is worship? 
Worship is where you give reverence, honor, respect, and adoration to God. When we gather together, we worship God. We attribute praise and honor to him. We do that when we sing. We do that when we pray. We do that when we fellowship. We do that when we have communion. We worship God. We honor and adore him. You'll notice in verse 42, one of the things they did to worship God, they continued in the breaking of bread and in prayers, in the communion service, in prayer meetings, whether it's formal or informal, structured or unstructured, planned or spontaneous. And sometimes I think they just gathered together in houses and enjoyed fellowship as well. I think worship ought to be joyful as well as reverent. I think they were joyful. Well, I, I read in the Bible where they ate their food with gladness and singleness or simplicity of heart. I, I think you can smile in church, even laugh. You see, is God worshipped when we do that? He could be. You know, some people prefer to sing a song like, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Somebody else will prefer Victory in Jesus. I mean, one is a little bit slower and contemplative. The other one is a little more exuberant and joyful. And you can sing both of those kinds of songs in the same service and worship God. Worship. You honor him. And you can do that when you sing, when you pray, when you fellowship and share together. Another characteristic, discipleship, fellowship, worship. Number four, service. People were doing different things in the church just like you do today. There are some people who can cook and bake and others who can eat what's cooked and baked. <laughs> there are some who can do electrical work and some who can't. Some can sing and some can't. Some can teach and some can't. But everybody does what they're able to do. And then even in this church, there are some people here who can do some things you can't do. But together you do it. That's service. The Bible says that things can be important, but yet life does not consist of the abundance of things which we possess. And yet some people have things. Some people have more money than others. That's fine with me because they become more responsible for that. I'm responsible for what I have, my abilities and my strengths and what God has given to me. But I don't think there's anything in the Bible that tells us today that we can't own property. Down through the years, people have owned land, houses, jewelry, clothing, coins, you name it. There are some people in the Bible who are very, very wealthy and some who are not. But here's 
a church where they are helping one another. I don't think they sold everything. It says they sold their possessions and they gave to people. They did not sell everything because they still had houses in which they worshiped. <laughs> and so they still had furniture. But the principle is this, voluntary and generous sharing and helping. That's what he's talking about. And then there's another characteristic, and that's called outreach. Some people call it evangelism, missions, global ministry. It doesn't make any difference what you call it. It's sharing the gospel and the, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of the walls of the church and outside of the walls of your home. Sharing the gospel, the good news, reaching other people. And this church did. And the Lord added continually, regularly, people who were saved. They were saved, they were baptized, they were discipled, they got involved in the ministry. There was outreach taking place. Outreach takes place in Des Moines when this church distributes literature, when this church puts its message out on the website, when the people who are members of this church personally visit others who need the gospel and they share the good news. So when you think about a church, think about these five characteristics, discipleship, fellowship, worship, service, and outreach. Let me summarize. That's a good word, summarize. That sounds like I'm getting close to the end, doesn't it? I'll summarize it this way. Number one, it seems to me that a church that is heads up spiritually is one that is measured by spiritual rather than numerical terms. Now this church grew. But the emphasis is not so much upon the numbers and comparing one church with another because of numbers, but rather spiritual rather than numerical. Number two, it seems to me that a church that is healthy spiritually follows biblical rather than cultural patterns. Notice they don't try to be relevant. They don't try to fit in. How do I know that? Well, here, even in the first century, this church, they were generous. That's not a characteristic of our culture. It never has been. It still isn't. Number three, it seems to me that a good church is theologically based rather than sociologically based. It's not what people want. It's what God says is important. Number four, it seems to me that healthy churches spiritually are focused on the ministry model rather than the marketing model. The marketing model is it's gotta be bigger, it's gotta be better, it's gotta be nicer, it's gotta be fancier, it's gotta look better. You're, you're comparing, you're trying to impress people. Also, it appears to me that a healthy church spiritually 
is one that is directed by people who are spiritually inclined rather than following the secular model. I see servant leadership in this church. I see people who are doing things and they didn't care who got the credit for it. I can remember one time when I was pastoring, I'll not tell you which church it was, but I helped another pastor in a church in the area start a, a third church. And uh, I can remember one time somebody in my church said, so when this church is formed and organized, who's going to get the credit for it? I said, you know what, I never even thought of that. I never even thought of who's going to get the credit for it. I just thought of the, you know, the, the possibility of doing something wonderful. By the way, that church is still in existence today, and it's thriving. Several hundred people. They have a Christian school. Little did I realize my feeble efforts a number of years ago. The subject of church or churches is one that is not always focused upon from the Bible's standpoint. You know, there's people define and describe churches, but not based upon biblical definition. Haven't you heard something like this? You know, I'd love to go to church if it just wasn't so churchy. And I'd love to go to church if it didn't look like one or it didn't sound like one. Well, what in the world do you want a church for then if you don't go to church? Let me put it this way. If I went to a church somewhere and there was no singing, no teaching, no preaching, no fellowship, no communion, no fellowship or sharing together, no worship of God, I'd say one thing. That's not a church. You can call it anything else you want to, but it's not a church. I expect spiritual atmosphere, a spiritual influence, spiritual pursuit, a spiritual message, and a spiritual purpose, just like this church in the book of Acts. Church is supposed to help you and me love God more. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You and I have the wonderful privilege of being a part of a church. Let's protect it. Let's preserve it. Let's get involved in it. Let's serve in it. And let's follow the truth that God gives to us. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look into the book of Acts, we discover that in very simple terms, this early church was involved in discipleship, fellowship, worship, service, and outreach. We too also today can be involved in a church in like manner. And I pray your good hand of blessing upon Emmanuel Baptist Church. It has been a lighthouse of truth for many people down through the years. It has supported missionaries down through the years. It has been a source of encouragement and strength to many people down through the years. And now as they look to you to direct them in calling a pastor, lead and direct and provide that leadership at the right time.
the right person in the right way for your glory. Bless this church. Keep your hand of protection upon it and use it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.